Isaiah chapter 40. I want to say, so good to see you this morning. Those of you that are joining us online, we're also glad you're with us this morning. Make sure if you're first time here, if you're here today and today's your first time at First Charlotte or whether you're joining us online, you're kind of new to that, we would love to connect with you. And so if you'll text the word connect to the number that you're going to see on the screen throughout the service, that'll let us know who you are, give us some information about you, we'll prompt you back and have you fill out a form. We've got a gift that we would love to send to you um, this week and, uh, and get to know who you are. So help us connect with you uh, in that way. And also, if there's any way we can be praying for you, you'll see some instructions for that uh, on the screen as, as well. Good to see so many of you, you back. I know that each week as we, as we kind of press through this, uh, uh, more of you are returning to campus. And so really, really grateful for that. We, uh, and really also thank you for uh, being careful and following the procedures and all that kind of stuff. But it is good to be back in worship um, together. So several weeks ago, um, had a little incident in our home one evening as I was spending time with, with, uh, with our daughter Hadley. Um, she, she got very terrified, panicked, and, um, and, and a little upset as a spider was crawling across the carpet uh, in, in our room. And so she panicked, she freaked, she jumped on the bed. What are we going to do uh, about this? Daddy, you've got you've to take care of the spider. And I thought this would be a good teaching moment. Um, and so I said, sweetheart, I want to teach you how to take care of the spider because there's always going to be spiders in this world. And one day when you grow up big, there's going to be spiders in your life and you need to know how to handle the spiders in your life. Really big teaching moment. And she said, well, what do we do, dad? And I said, well, on your feet, you have, you have a flip-flop. And you take that flip-flop off and you go to the spider. She goes, well, what if it jumps me? I said, it's not going to jump on you. It's just a spider. Um, it's a little bitty one. It's not going to, you're fine. You go and you, you hit the spider. And it'll kill the spider and we can move on with life um, in that. Which is a great lesson, you know. When something comes and scares you, you just knock it down and you just keep going on. So I'm kind of thinking this is good fatherhood and so forth. So she, get, she says, okay. So she gets enough courage. She's going to do it. She takes her flip-flop off. She, she creeps over the spider really slowly and she, she hits it. And when she lifts up her, her, her flip-flop, the spider continues to walk on. <laughs> She's like, oh, it didn't, it didn't work, Dad. It, well, you've got to hit it again. You've got to hit it a little harder. And so she, she does the whole thing again. She hits it. And this goes through several times. You see, the spider's on carpet. So every time she's hitting the spider, she's pushing it into the carpet, just giving a little massage, and the spider keeps moving on. And she goes, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, I tell you what. Let me tell you another lesson in life. Bigger is better. So I take off my shoe and I hand it to her. I said, now with all your might, go to that spider and, 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 and just slam it. And so she did. The spider's dead and she learned several lessons that day. But the lesson that she ended up learning just by, by the way it worked out was bigger is better. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a line in life that we believe in many different ways. Bigger is better. Uh, a 14-ounce snake is better than an 8-ounce snake. Anybody can amen that? Um, a 12-gauge is bigger and better than a 20-gauge. Uh, 600 horsepower is better than 300 horsepower. Uh, we, we, we like big things. We like powerful things. We're drawn to that. We're drawn to magnificent things and big things and things that just blow our mind out. And when it comes to relying upon something and, and depending on something, we want to make sure that we have enough and so that whatever we're leaning upon and depending upon is big enough to handle what we're walking through and going through. But as we think of our God and who He is, 
There is none bigger and better than him. There is none so magnificent and powerful and awesome as our God. So as we face our need and as we walk through the things in life that we have to, he is our bigger and better than anything else. Isaiah chapter 40 is a reminder to the people of Israel and to us just how magnificent and powerful and mighty God is. Today as we look at that, I want to as we dive off into who God is, we'll look at a word, the omnipotence of God, the all-sufficient, all-encompassing, unlimited power of God. That there is no one as powerful as God. There is no one that can do what God do. There is nothing that God cannot do. The impossible is not impossible for him, and his power never diminishes nor depletes. Israel was in a time and place of, when you look at this book of Isaiah, it's a pretty dark book. It's a book of judgment. It's a book of prophecy about judgment coming upon. It's a book of calling out sin. It's, it's not really great news throughout the majority of the book of Isaiah. People were in a bad place, in a difficult place, and Isaiah was talking to them about that. There's some great things in the book of Isaiah as it foretells of the answer to it all, Jesus. As we come to many different prophecies about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Some great texts there, but for the most part, it found Israel, as oftentimes we come to Scripture, in a really tough place, in a difficult place. And in Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah takes a moment to remind them who they're really dealing with, how powerful and how mighty he is. Our focus is going to be on verses 28 through 31 in a moment, but it's just too good. It's just too good to miss what he says leading up to that moment. So I want to draw your attention to what he says in verse 10. If you just walk with me through it, and then we'll find ourselves landing in verse 28 in just a little bit. He says, Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. This speaks of the control of God who comes with might, his power, his strength, his rule and his authority, his reward, his recompense. He's both a, a gracious and rewarding God, but he's also one of judgment and justice. This mighty, controlling, sovereign God. Notice this in the very next verse. He'll tend his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs in his arm. He'll carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. It's just a beautiful passage, especially when it comes in the face of verse 10 of this mighty, awesome God that can do anything, that rules and controls, that brings justice and judgment, as well as reward, takes those that he loves, his sheep. And he doesn't grab them like you would a, a dog by the back of the neck and carry it along. No, he brings them into his bosom and carries them along. And it speaks of the magnitude of God who has measured the water in the hollow of his hand. Think of the magnitude of God who with his hand measures the waters of this earth. The majority of the world is water. God has the ability to measure it in the, the, the hollow, which is the inward part of his hand. He scoops up water and says, well, this is the Indian Ocean, and this is the Atlantic Ocean, and, and this will, will make the, uh, uh, the Pacific Ocean, and this is Lake Norman, and this is the Mississippi River, and so on and so forth. He, it's just simply right there, all of it right there in the hollow of his hand, how magnificent he is that these waters, this great water that we depend upon, just sits in the hollow, the inward part of his hand. 
It's nothing to him. Marked off the heavens with a span. The span would have been the the space between your your index finger and your thumb. He's marked off the heavens and said, this is how big the galaxy will be. Everything that we see and beyond that, this is how big it is to God. He marks it off and measures it that way. And closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales in a balance. God is so big. That all of the dirt and all of the surface in the earth, he can grab and he can just put it simply in in a measure, in a scoop. He measures the mountains. We don't even know how big the mountains are. And he he measures them on his scales, our magnificent number. Take Mount Everest and says, okay, it's going to weigh this much. We'll weigh it right there and then we'll put it right here. He takes these mountains and he puts them. They're nothing to him. It's how magnificent and large he is. Then he asks the question, who has measured the spirit of the Lord? What man shows him counsel? He measures everything and everyone, but who measures him? Who does he answer to? Who is he accountable to? Who gives him counsel? Who taught him? Who encouraged him? Who pushes him along? Who trained him up? The answer is no one. Every one of us have people like that. We're all judged. We're all measured, both by God, but by other people. We're trained. We're brought up. We're instructed. We're given insight and wisdom. We don't have wisdom, and we have to seek wisdom and counsel, but God doesn't need that. None gives him that. Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? Who was his teacher? You know who your teacher was? He had many of them. Probably need more. But none for him. Who taught him the path of justice? Taught him the path of justice. He is justice. He made the path. Who taught him knowledge? He is knowledge. Who showed him the way of understanding? Pull the... Just comparing the magnitude that there's none other, there's none compared to him, there's no authority above him. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Every power, every authority, every dominion, every country, every kingdom is like a drop from a bucket for God. His power and authority and dominion is so much larger, wider, bigger, and they're counted as the dust on the scales. Just dust that weigh nothing before him. Only takes up the coast and like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor its beasts enough for burnt offerings. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as nothing, as less than emptiness and nothing. Not enough burnt offerings would be enough to gain an upper hand upon God. Lebanon was known for its wood. Not enough beasts, nothing before him. To whom then will you liken God? What's he like? How are you going to compare him? How are you going to liken him? Or what, com- what likeness compare him with? Like an idol? Like all these things that the world worships, all these things that, that people and humanity is drawn to worship, whether it be a man-made carved image or a false god or something that we make an idol in our lives and owe our allegiance and, and give our service and give our worship in many ways. Is, is that what he's like? Listen, all those things, listen, he says it's a craftsman craftsman. What the world worships is made by man. A goldsmith overlays it with gold to make it look pretty. It casts it for silver chains. He who is too improvised for an offering chooses wood that will, rot, will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that it will not move. This is direct Comment on our idols, that we starve and we work and we pay, we pay homage to that which we made. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning, verse 21? 
Have you not understood from the foundation of the, do you not get it? Do you not understand? Do you not see it, O people of God? That it is he, verse 22, who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. His eternal reign over it all. He sits above this earth. He watches it all. He sees it all, all at once, all of time, from the beginning to the end. He sees it, and he sees us all, small compared to him. He stretches out the heavens to create them like curtains. And one day, as he stretches out these curtains, he will, he will bring them and pull them back. Brings princes to nothing. <laughs> no ruler, no authority has any authority without his authority. And ultimately, compared to him, it means nothing. Scarcely are there planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. He blows on them, and they wither. The tempest carries them off like stubble. There is none as awesome and mighty as our God. So then he asks the question, to then whom will you compare me? That I should be like him. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Don't you get it? Who created everything? Who created these? Who, who brings out their hosts by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might? Because he is strong in power. No one is missing. The point of all of this is to help us understand God is awesome. He is mighty. He is powerful. And there is nothing and no one, not all the combined energy and power and authority of all mankind, of all history, of any galaxy, of any universe, of any planet, of anything, even were you to compile it all, would be nothing more than a drop from a bucket before God. That's all it takes. Power. The magnificent, omnipotent, all-encompassing, all-sufficient power of God. Which leads to the question for Israel. Why do you say, O Jacob? Why do you speak, O, way, o Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. Why do you doubt? Why do you fear? Why do you whine, complain? Why are you backing up? Why are you leaning upon others? Why are you looking into others? Why are you depending upon other things? Why are you treating God less than he really is? Why are you saying that he must not be paying attention or he must not be in control or he must not be in charge of this situation or this scenario? Why are you turning to other things? Why are you looking and depending upon? Why are you following other things? Why are you so wrapped up in the sin to bring help for the pain that you're experiencing? Why? Which leads to the reminder that God gives his people and that God gives us. Why? Why do you doubt God? 
Why do you try to fit him in your box and in your scenario? Why do you try to control him? Why do you not trust him? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Have you not heard? Simply put, God is awesome. He is the everlasting God. There is no beginning and no end to him. He is never finished. There is always more, and there is always more to come of him. We have never reached his end. We have never fully understood him. He has never reached a limit. He is the everlasting God. We have a beginning and an end. You have a beginning and the end. The world has a beginning, but God does not. He is the everlasting God. Always was, always is, always will be. And he is the creator of the ends of the earth. He is the beginner of all things. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created. Before that there was nothing. So everything that we see and everything that we have, God put it there. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, For by him all things are created, things in heaven, things on earth, things visible, things invisible. Heard some time ago that scientists found ice on the planet Mars. How did that get there? God put it there exactly. He made it all. The mountains are magnificent because the magnificent God put them there. The sky seems endless because the magnificent, endless God put it there. The human body is so complex and unique and special because a God created it in his own image. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. He is magnificent and in this magnificence how awesome he doesn't grow faint or weary he says his understanding is unsearchable God doesn't get tired he has unlimited this power that Isaiah speaks of in verse 10 through verse 27 is unlimited inexhaustible power this is matchless he does not ever come to a place of being diminished in power or needing to replenish that power He doesn't get tired. God never yawns. He never needs a break. He never needs a nap. He never needs to just hang on. Let me figure this out. Let's take a breath. I'm getting tired. He never gets weary. He never is, what am I going to do? This is complex. Let me figure this out. Let me think this through just for a moment. I I can handle this because I'm God. And I'm awesome and I'm mighty. He doesn't ever have to pause to figure out a situation. There's no situation unfigureoutable. It doesn't even compute to him in that way. He understands everything completely. His understanding is unsearchable. He doesn't grow faint nor weary. We think we're so smart. We think we've got it all figured out. We think we know how things are supposed to work and how God is supposed to do things until those things don't go that way. But we're smart people, so he must be the one wrong because we can microwave a burrito in 30 seconds. And we can connect to the entire world by the thing in our pocket. But his understanding is unsearchable. He understands things and sees things that we will never comprehend and understand. Just who he is is so complex and unique and special that our human mind and our finite mind will never be able to understand who he is. And cannot see it the way that he sees it. Through his pure and perfect 
all-powerful mind. We underestimate God. And the truth be told, we even as his people, because this is addressed to his people. This isn't addressed to the pagan world. They don't get it. But we, through Jesus Christ, have the opportunity to get it, to understand something. And yet we forget it. We struggle like the people of Israel did to understand and acknowledge him truly as he is. We put him in a box or we put him on our shelf or we put him towards our agenda. We save him for certain moments and times in our lives. We, we, we lean upon when we need him. But a regular understanding that, listen, we don't, he doesn't answer to us, we answer to him. He doesn't understand, well, we, we don't understand his stuff. It's not the other way around. If we really thought God was awesome as he is, we, you would have to peel ourselves away from the scripture every day to go to work and to play. But on the flip, work and play keeps us from the scripture. If we really understand how awesome God is, we would have more words of praise that would come out of our mouth. We would be able to join the writers of hymns from ages and add to the tune because there's not been everything that needs to be said about our God yet said. That's why the scripture says, sing to the Lord a new song. Add to it. Learn something about him. Discover something. Figure out. Because we haven't reached the end. It's not all said and it's not all done just yet how magnificent and how glorious and how gracious and merciful and loving and powerful and just and righteous he is. Yet more often than words of praise come out of our mouth are words of complaint and worry and doubt and fear and whine. We really thought how God, awesome God was, we would have more eagerly entered this building with excitement together with a group of people that also feel the same way we are and do and that believe that this God is magnificent and awesome rather than the reluctance that sometimes we come into the people of God to worship this God. Yeah. Or the fact that we think we've, we've bought off time by the fact that we've come two weeks in a row. We can take this week off. We don't, we don't get it. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't grow faint nor weary. His understanding is unsearchable. But listen to this. This magnificent, awesome, mighty God, this, this all-powerful God gives. Gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. He is awesome and he is extraordinary. He is the most powerful, but he desires to give us that. He is the ultimate giver. He doesn't keep this for himself because he doesn't need it. He shares it with those who need it. He is the helper of the weak and the weary and the worthless. He gives power to the faint. He doesn't grow faint, but those who do grow faint, he gives power to. And to him who has no might, who him does not have strength and does not have the ability nor the capacity, he increases strength. God is the giver. 
And this is resounded throughout Scripture. Jesus said himself in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Why? Because our weakness and our faintedness and our lack of strength is because of our sin. And so he gave us what we need for that weakness. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And then Jesus promised us in Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it will be given to you. You know, we've got this offering thing kind of backwards. Like we, we we think God's getting something when he got us. I, God's lucky to get some of my resources. God's, God's lucky to get some of my time. I mean, he, he couldn't do this without me. And, and so we give to him. We give to him. Let me tell you something, brother and sister. God doesn't need one of your dimes. He's got way more than dimes. And I think you and I have forgotten sometimes that he gave to us first. And he has given us far more than we could ever give. He has given us what we could not earn. He has given us what we could not do on our own. He has given us what we never, ever, ever, with all the strength and power of mankind combined together, could ever create and make. He gave first, and he still gives. And what he gives is greater than what we give. He is a giving God, and he gives because of our weakness. Our faintedness. You see, it is in the need of humanity that God gives his power. It is in the brokenness of you and I. It is in our weakness and our humility and our poverty and our worthlessness that we find the worth of God poured into us. You will never understand how magnificent and great God is until you understand how unmagnificent and great you are. Everything that he has, he gives. He is everlasting. He gives us everlasting life. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. And he gives us his creation. And he gives us dominion and power over creation. And even if it weren't enough that he gives us power and authority and the ability to enjoy his creation, he even gives us the ability to create ourselves. His power. He gives power to the faint and the weary. His understanding. God even gives us his understanding. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we, we have, he says, the mind of Christ. He gives us that understanding. He is a giving God. He is an awesome God. And he grants this power, this unlimited power to us. And it's necessary because we get tired. Notice verse 30, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Even youths, even the hardiest and healthiest of us all, get faint 
and are weary. Overcome. Even young men shall be exhausted. There is a certain arrogance in youth. I mean, can I get an amen from any parent that has got a teenager in their home there? There is a certain arrogance in youth, in all of us. I mean, we, we all, I mean, there's a point in time where as you develop and grow up, you believe you are better and smarter and stronger than anyone else in the world, and at least your parents, okay? There's an arrogance in youth. And, and, and being, you know, I kind of still consider myself somewhat young. I mean, I'm younger than some of you. And I'll be honest with you, that can be completely, like, there is this thing I have to battle that, that, hey, man, I got more hair than you. And, hey, man, I, you know, I, you know, there's just this, I'm smarter. I mean, I'm fresh. I mean, just this arrogance that comes with use. It's just part of it. But, but he tells us even useful, faint, even the best of the best, the strongest, the most powerful, the most hardy, the most resourceful, the wisest, the most knowledgeable, the best, even the greatest of great. They do get tired. They are overcome with circumstances, and there is an end to them. Yesterday, I had a, had a moment to remind one of my children of this. My son, 14, is growing up, and he is so much more than I ever was ever in my life. I mean, he's, he's healthy. I mean, he's, he's strong. He works out. He's athletic. Uh, I mean, he's just gifted in ways, and he's worked hard for those things, and well, now that he's a teenager, he's a little cocky about it. Let me be honest with you. He's very proud of that. And so every day he's going to workouts and he comes home, Dad, guess how much I benched today? Guess how much I, I, I uh, squatted today? And so forth. He's really, really proud of that. And, and uh, so yesterday we were in the pool. And uh, he says, I think I can take you. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while since we've done this. You were probably like eight when we did that last time. And so forth. And so I'd be honest with you, I was a little nervous. I mean, he's like two, three inches taller than me. And he does probably bench more than I could right now and so forth. So I was a little bit like, this could be it. And my, so I am here to tell you today, I am so proud that for the next 15 minutes, I threw him around like a rag doll in that pool. <laughs> I mean, I was like a sturdy oak, like a like a mountain that could not be moved, a boulder that could not be picked up. And I mean, I really felt like Hulk Hogan was back in that moment, man. It was just so great. And afterwards, he looked at me, breath exhausted. Dad, how much can you bench? <laughs> See, even youth, even the most strapping of us, even the, like we all reach our limits. We all get to moments in life that we cannot figure it out, that this is too much, this is too difficult, that we, we can't navigate this really well. We all get in those waters. We all get in those circumstances. We all get to the moment in life that no matter how healthy our bodies are, they cannot defeat what ages against it or what battles against it. There is an arrogance in all of us. We try to operate on our own. But listen, even the best of us will fall. We will always fail. You cannot live life on your own. You cannot make decisions on your own. You cannot have it your way every time in everything on your own. And listen, no one gets to heaven on their own. No one beats this life and gets out of this life on their own. 
You can never understand the good news of what God has for you unless you understand the bad news of what you are and what I am. That I am unable. And at the core, I am a failure. Because I have sinned. And until you come to the place, friend, that you recognize that and you realize that and you confess that, you will never meet the one, the awesome one, the mighty one who doesn't give power to the arrogant and prideful, but he gives it to the faint, the weak. And the ones who understand, verse 31, but... But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God, the one who never faints, who run and never gets weary, the one with this all-encompassing, omnipotent power, gives it to us. But he only gives it to those who wait who surrender themselves and come to him with their needs, with their brokenness, with their poorness and their poverty, with their sin. And then he pours in his power. And he has specifically poured in his power to us through the avenue of the cross, Jesus Christ. And once you come through that avenue and power, you have an unlimited tap into his power that is always there to help you navigate through everything, to lift you up and through. To, as we sung earlier, to make a garden out of a grave. He is willing and wanting to do that for us if we'll wait for it. If we'll wait for the power. We understand the importance of waiting for power. Every one of us has in your pocket or in your purse something that runs out of power every day. And when that runs out of power, life can get a little bit tricky. You ever had that happen? Of course you've had that happen numerous times. You weren't paying attention. You're on a phone call. You're getting directions somewhere. It's navigating you somewhere. You're looking at social media. You're in the middle of a game. Whatever you're doing. I don't know. But all of a sudden, it just goes black. Ugh. It's like life ends at that moment. That happened to me the other day, and I had no idea where I was. My phone went dead. I didn't plug it in in my car, and I didn't know where I was. I didn't know how to get out. So you know what I had to do? I had to pull over, plug it in, and wait. You don't understand waiting. We, 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 we regularly take our phones to the, the power source, plug it in so that it can get power, so we can continue to use it. But what do you do when you do that? What happens at that moment of waiting for the power to come in? Waiting for the power to you? What do you do? I can tell you what you probably don't do. Put it on the counter. Put it on the table. And sit. And just watch. I'm waiting. I think I'll wait till it gets to 60%. Or I'll wait till it... It's full charge, or at least enough to where I think I can get on this phone call. I'm just going to sit there and watch it. That, that would be a very boring watch. Yet, so oftentimes, that's what we do with God. God, I want you to do something for me. I'm going to ask you to do something for me, and until then, I'm just going to wait. That's missing the point of the wait. There's plenty of times that God called people to wait. It's all over the Scripture. 
Jesus told his disciples to wait here until the Holy Spirit comes. The disciples had to wait three days before Jesus rose. Elijah had to wait at the brook with the widow. Israel had to wait 40 days. And then they had to wait 66 days before their first battle was won. Waiting on the power of God. You want the power of God, you got to wait on the power of God. But waiting is not wasting. Waiting is a very important time. Because in the wait, as we sit, God makes us able to receive his power. Because in the wait, sometimes he has some chiseling and some work he needs to do. And he's going to redirecting he needs to do in your life. He has some sin that needs to come out of your life. Before you can experience this power of God, waiting is an important point of life. And the truth of the matter is, probably some of you are in a position of waiting. You're not where you want to be. You haven't gotten what you want to get. And you're not where you think the Lord wants you to be. He's asking you to wait. But that is not to be spent idle. As you wait upon the Lord for him to renew your strength, to mount you up on wings like eagles, so you can walk and not faint and run and not grow weary, don't waste the wait. Let him work and use the wait for your good. He is an awesome God. None like him. There's no one worthy of depending upon God that other than God. Less doubt, more weight, and trust, and faith. Let's pray. There is none like you, Lord. You're so magnificent, so wonderful. We, we, will never, we will never exhaust. We will never reach the end of you. We will never figure it all out. There's always more, and there's so much more. Each one of us, there's so much more to understand and realize about who you are and how magnificent and great you are. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us as your people to trust you, to see you as greater than all things, everything in our life, to trust you for everything and to lean in upon you for anything. Help us to do that as your people, Lord. Draw us to you. And for those that have not come to that place and point where they have trusted you, may they wait by, by falling upon the cross, by, by bringing their weakness and their, their brokenness before you, trusting in you through your son Jesus. Save them today. For others of us that are far off and that have forgotten, remind us. May we be the ones, have we not known? Have we not heard? Do we not realize you are the everlasting God? Omnipotent. Help us to trust you. Not to doubt you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want you to think about this. God can do anything. There's nothing in your life that God is not capable of of overpowering and working out. He is a God of the impossible. The impossible is not impossible with him. And the greatest thing that God has ever done, I know there's a lot of things in our lives that we need him to do, but the greatest thing he's ever done, the most impossible feat that he's ever overcome 
is to be able to save you. To take your life and save it from hell and save it from death and save it from eternity without him. His son Jesus Christ came to die on the cross to offer you forgiveness. You can't do that, but he did. And so he does that for you. He offers that to you. Would you trust in him today? Would you accept him as your Lord and Savior? You can do that in the quietness and the, the, the safety and the privacy of your own home right now where you're sitting. Just call out to God and say, Lord, save me. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. And Jesus, save me. And if you'll do that right now, then the impossible will happen. He'll change your life. You know, we have great hope also as we have all these things that we face and deal with in life that seem impossible. God gives us the opportunity to take these impossible things and lay them at the feet of the omnipotent God who can do anything. To seek Him, to ask Him, and to trust Him to work His plan and do the impossible through it. He'll do it if you'll trust Him with it. Church family, it's been great worshiping with you today. August is going to be a fun month together. Uh, as we do church together, we're better together. And as we go through this season, really want to encourage you not to miss a Sunday uh, engaging with your church, to get connected again, once again, with your Sunday school class or your community group, to, because we're better together. We need each other. A couple cool things happening. Noah's going to be talking about them in just a moment that we want you to know of. But, but put August the 30th on your calendar. We're going to have a drive-through dinner on the grounds and an actual dinner on the grounds, whatever you're the most comfortable with. And we want to see you. We want to love on you. We want to spend some time with you, whether it's even in the safety of your car. We want to do that together. We love you, church family. Thanks for worshiping with us. Those of you that are joining us for the first time, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, if you'll just text the word connect to the number here on the screen, uh, we'd be glad to get to know you and send a gift to you. Have a great week, and we will see you back next Sunday.